Welcome to the program. My name is Robert Berger, joined by our host Lee Griffin and Scott Boris to talk Class Charlie airspace today out of the AIM 3-2-4. Scott, what's your smart uh, comment for the letter C this episode? Let's just get that out of the way now so that uh, everybody's yeah. waiting for it. Everybody's waiting for it. So just get it out of crowded, the way now. Crowded, crowded, congested, crammed, cancel. Think cancel. <laughs> Somebody wants somebody wants somebody somebody schedules you a flight into a class C airport, you cancel that flight. Right? <laughs> See? Because it's, it's just too crowded. Another C word, crowded. Another yeah, yeah, there I mean, there's plenty. So yeah, many of them. Can't go there. Of. Can't yeah. go there. I can't, can't go there. Yep. Can't do it. A is avoid. B is bad. You gotta have one definitive one for C before we, we can move on. Oh man. So many of them. The audience is waiting for for me to read I'm trying to think Scotty I'm th- trying to think uh, so we go with two crowded three. crowded congested or uh, canceled I, I like with I like complicated Ooh, complicated com- that's wow. the other one yeah complicated yeah, that's a good one yeah yeah let's go with complicated this is like words with, with friends this is like words with right. friends yeah that's excellent yeah, I mean, we'll get right into it part a definition generally that airspace Lee still got his laptop open. That airspace <laughs> from the surface to 4,000 feet above the airport elevation charted in MSL, mean sea level, surrounding those airports that have an operational control tower are serviced by a radar approach control and that have a certain number of IFR operation or passenger emplanements. Also, the configuration of each Class C airspace area is individually tailored. The airspace usually consists of a five nautical mile radius core surface area that extends from the surface up to 4,000 feet above airport elevation and 10 nautical mile radius shelf that extends no lower than 1,200 feet above the airport elevation. Uh, you got you got anything after that? We just moving on to B or? Uh, I mean, to, I would sum that up maybe a little bit. Look at your class D. Same dimensions there, or your class B. Add the lowest tier to that wedding cake, and that's really what you're looking at. So you have your core area, five miles up to 4,000 feet. Then you have a little bit of a shelf area that's good for 10 miles. And that, so what you're, that's your class, Charlie. You're saying so it's like a class Delta wearing a tutu. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to look at it that way. Do they always only go to 4,000 or do they go above 4,000 sometimes? 4,000 AGL is typical. Yeah. Now, remember, it's I, always in here, the words individually tailored. So it can be whatever they I need. Would feel like, I would feel a little bit inappropriate if I flew it 4,001 foot over top of like Port Columbus and didn't. Well, and we've talked about that, though, why you don't want to do 4,001 We've well, obviously, okay. Before. So, so for, even even let's say forty five hundred, even forty five hundred, I would feel like it'd be a little bit inappropriate to just fly over top of it without. Is it what is it what your transponder saying to be legal, or because your transponder is more than one foot above your landing gear, so your landing gear might be down in it if your transponder. Well, that's also correct, but it, yeah, yeah no, the ATC true. doesn't know yeah. that. ATC doesn't know that and doesn't yeah. care. Well, I mean, well, think we about an airliner. Say, if you're in a bigger airplane, you know, you got a lot more hanging below and hanging above. So, yeah, that's a good point. But, yeah, so, I mean, you said 4,500 feet. If it's over 4,000 feet, yeah. you're saying you wouldn't be comfortable flying over at 4,500? And that's fine. I don't know. It just feels like, would you fly over top of, 
pulled Columbus in my 150 at 4,500 without yes. making a radio yes. contract. I have Would done you? a very similar thing going on top of, of uh, Erie. Yeah, uh, it, and it's it's uh, the top of it. If I remember correctly, is like fifty two hundred. I think it went over at fifty five hundred feet because that was a perfect yeah. from eastbound altitude. The direction I was flying, perfect. Now, huh. what well, is that? You could always call approach and just tell them what, what you're doing, right? Well, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, there's no reason really not to. But it does eliminate yeah. some of the things that might make people not want to go near it anyway. So that's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's good that you're maybe. Are thinking eh, maybe I don't want to do that. That's a really good thought process because, I mean, I suppose it could be make their lives a little. The air traffic controllers could make their life a little harder at forty five hundred. Right. I went over that airport at around those altitudes Which when one? I was doing I, Port Columbus. I, yeah, because I I would do semi regular non commercial uh, operations uh, with my boss at a house uh, down there from Kelly's Island. So we'd go back and forth from the island down there. Yeah. And you I did certainly what? Worked. And what altitude did you do? I did, yeah, like f- whatever the VFR altitude was, just which is I think would be five hundred feet above that. Yeah. What? Uh, and how? What airport? How do you feel about them? it? I never thought twice about. it. I never talked to him, but I was well above the four thousand. Perfect. What airport did you fly into down there? I don't remember. Yeah. Well, new, new something. I think. What? New it knew something south of Columbus was the closest to where his Columbus home was. Yeah, I don't know. Is that a class Charlie yeah. airspace though? No, it was an uncontrolled field. Oh, okay. I would go over. It's going over the class Charlie. Ah. If it was if it was required going into a controlled power <laughs> airport. I would not have been doing it. <laughs> so, right. all right, just to rehash this, you got your inner core area five miles. You got an outer area 10 miles up to 4,000 feet. Just outside of that, you ha- you do have a further area, which is good for 20 miles. And that is pretty much their radar coverage area. And if you look on a sectional, on a sectional, which is kind of geared for, uh, it would take a long time for me to describe this really, you know, in full. But the class Charlie is the highest level of airspace that the sectional is really geared towards. And I can prove that by when you look on a sectional chart and you find a class Charlie airport, which is denoted by a solid magenta ring. Okay. It will tell you 20 miles from that primary airport. There will be a box and it says contact approach control on whatever frequency. So at 20 miles out, you'd want a contact approach. uh, Yeah, because that is really where their radar service really starts. It's okay. not noted on the sectional. I mean, that's yeah. buried in here in the reg somewhere. You know, there's a radar surface like, area. Is that like common courtesy at 20 miles? If you're going into class C, you'd want to give them a call? Well, it helps you out because then you don't even really need to be too, like we've talked about before, you know, when you're going into a class Bravo or a class Delta underlying the class Bravo, you can just kind of call them up, not really be too sure of where you, I mean, you can, I mean, be sure of where you are, but you have to be, you're a lot less responsible for all of those things. Call them up. They'll, Go ahead. They'll, they'll issue you a transponder code, and then once they verify that transponder code on their screen, they'll know exactly where you are once yeah. you're in radar contact. Yeah, but you're not in jeopardy of penetrating their airspace. Huh, penetrate. You're not in jeopardy of penetrating their airspace <laughs> without, <laughs> without clearance. 
That's the important thing. So it makes you, it makes it a little bit easier on you. You can just say, Hey, I'm five miles and just kind of throw something out there for the most part. have a general idea where you are and just I'm five miles from wherever I'm whatever. And like you said, transponder code, they'll pick you up. You're good to go. You can do that 10 miles outside of their airspace or more depending on altitude. Yeah. If you think about the, the upside down wedding cake, you know, if you're below that lower shelf, you may have <clears throat> you may have 15 miles before you're actually yeah. in their airspace that you can be talking to them and get that clearance. That's the biggest thing and I know we'll talk about it later with class delta, you have to you're very responsible for where you are if it's not um underneath the class uh Bravo or Charlie with an approach control. You're just going to a random class Delta. You got to be kind of on it or you're going to penetrate their airspace without clearance. C is like a shotgun budget wedding cake compared to the class Bravo though. If you want to use that term. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely watered down. I've never, I've never heard, I've never heard upside wedding, upside down wedding cake for class C, but well, it's, it's a only small, two tiers. It's a, small wedding cake. it's a yeah. very small wedding like a, cake. It's like a Vegas wedding. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, Ooh, I don't Everyone even know cakes. It. They don't have cakes for those cupcakes. They have cupcakes. Yeah, yeah. cupcakes. <laughs> All right. Part B: uh, Classy airspace is charted on sectional charts, IFR in route, in route low altitude, and terminal area charts where appropriate. This is similar to Class Bravo. It is charted unlike Class A. Both of these, um, and we'll shoot it to Scott. Uh, at risk of more weird jokes, uh, what does the classy airspace look like on the diff- on? Uh, on sectional and terminal chart area charts. Well, it is a magenta ring around the airport, right? And there's one at five nautical miles, and then there's one at ten nautical miles, right? Yeah, that's correct. Appreciate you taking the high road on that one. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> always, do, always, do. always taking the <laughs> high road. Mr. Griffin, the low, the IFR in route, low altitude. What does it look like on that? Similar to class B, right? Yeah. I mean, it really looks the same. I mean, the only thing you're going to look at is if you have something on the same chart where you can compare and contrast, it's just going to be smaller, you know, because the the class Bravo is going to go out, you know, to the the class Bravo airspace is going to go out to 20 miles typically. So, because you're missing that upper tier. Since we're looking at a um, bird's eye view trying to represent three-dimensional stuff on a two-dimensional piece of paper. Um, so when you look at that upper tier of that wedding cake, uh, it goes out to about 20 miles. So much, much bigger. But yeah, uh, basically it's depicted the same. Blue, all like a baby blue type color. I mean, that's they don't really differentiate too much once you're talking controlled airspace like that on a uh, terminal ch- or on a uh, low altitude chart. Okay. I, I I didn't know they it was blue as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But the whole thing's blue. It's okay. yeah. It's totally yeah. It's totally different. Yeah. Mm, I didn't know that. Well, if you'd got your instrument rating, maybe you would. Yeah. yeah I, got, that's I got an instrument rating, and I don't think I've looked at one of those in a decade. So well, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, part C, operating rules and pilot equipment requirements. Uh, part one is pilot certification. No specific certification is required, um, unlike class A and B. Um, this one doesn't require, class C doesn't require specific certification or rating, uh, as we discussed in the Bravo episode. You need, oh. in some airports, 
you you have to have a private pilot's license in a class bravo in certain class bravos right yeah it's in those top 10 and then class a airspace you obviously uh, need an instrument rating because you have to be ifr when you're up there so this is the first one we're covering that doesn't really require like a, a higher rating to to so, go into so in class c if you have a sport pilot or a recreational pilot license you're good to go you can get an endorsement from an instructor to do it. Yeah, I believe. No, you totally can. But uh, if you're looking from the perspective of the airspace, there is no specific uh, criteria for the airmen for the airspace. There's specific criteria for the airmen to fly into that airspace, like on the airmen. So it just kind of switches roles. It's more on the airmen than the airspace where class Bravo Okay, if the airspace allows it, then the airman needs the endorsement, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no specific endorsement. Perfect. Oh, yeah. And part two discovers the equipment. You got to have a radio and you got to have ADSB out. And then there's a note about ADSB. We'll skip part three arrival or through flight entry requirements. Mm. Two way radio communications must be established with the ATC facility providing ATC services prior to entry and thereafter maintain those communications while in class Charlie airspace pilots of arriving aircraft should contact the class C airspace ATC facility on the publicized frequency and give their position altitude radar beacon code destination and request class C service radio contact should be initiated far enough from the class C airspace boundary to preclude entering class C airspace before two-way radio communications are established. Um, I think that's the biggest difference between the class B and the class C is basically you just, you don't have to be cleared into the airspace. As long as you establish two-way radio communications, you can, you can head on in. Yeah. What if they say, Um, what if they say don't come in here? That's well, of course. Communication. Well, well, there, no. Yeah. Well, there's some there's some notes I'm going to get to um, that cover that of, of like examples. Can um, they tell you? Can they tell you not to come in? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And that's what's nice. If they respond to you, you've established no. two way radio. Yes, that's true. But that is always you know with the caveat, unless they tell you to remain clear. Yeah. Yeah. So they're tighter remain clear you can't go in. Yeah. Does that make sense, Scott? Or Yeah. yeah. No, no, I was just I was No, I know that's good to clarify this stuff because yeah. the way that sounds is you know, you know, talk to them and they respond back to you and head on in, which pretty much is the truth unless they tell you to remain clear. Yeah. And that comes kind of full circle with what I was saying earlier. If you can contact their radar, their radar uh, coverage extends out 10 miles beyond their, like the airspace limits. You know, when, if you're like in that upper, the upper tier of their airspace, you know, like 2,500 feet to like 4,000 feet. If you're in that upper tier, just cruising along, their radar coverage starts about 10 miles outside of that. So if you contact them, around where that box is on a sectional chart. If you take like your your plotter, your VFR plotter and put it on a sectional, it's exactly to tw- that box is exactly basically exactly at 20 miles from the primary airport. It's really kind of interesting and that's where their radar coverage starts. 
So if you call them around, and that box tells you the frequency you even contact them on, get the ATIS, look at the box, contact them on that frequency. The sooner you contact them, the more time you have for them to get back to you or to tell you or, or to get through whatever busy like you know thing they're doing with whatever would tell them, whatever would make them tell you to remain clear of the class, Charlie. That gives them 10 miles to get it all figured out so they can just let you come in without you having to alter course or hold or do something weird. That I would say right. always try and get a hold of them as soon as Might you can. Might as well contact them as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, right, right. And then you have 10 miles, you know, so in a, you know, in a a slower general aviation aircraft, you know, 150, 172, a Piper Archer, whatever, you know, that's minutes. You know, that's several, that's several minutes, you know, that could be up to five minutes of time for them to sort out whatever they need to, to say, you know, whatever, come on in, basically. If you're whipping in in like a Learjet, you call them a little further out, I'm guessing. If if for some reason you weren't IFR getting handed well, off. Well, no, their radar coverage only starts 20 miles from the airport, though. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you're still you're still obligated to that. And, that, and that's another beauty of the uh, IFR. And that was perfect yeah, because you're, you're, you're just getting handed off. Getting handed so off whenever and they you're hand, going in. Yeah. Whenever they hand you off, that's when you contact them. Yeah. All right, they do have... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say you're you're pretty much you're auto, pretty much automatically cleared in. You never yeah. need to hear any of these words. This two way radio communication thing doesn't even matter anymore when you're IFR. So you can yep. see why if you have an instrument rating, even if it's clear weather, people are filing IFR just because all of these boundaries and things that can get you in trouble just basically disappear. Yep. All right. There are some notes that give specific details of of this situation uh one if the controller responds to a radio call with aircraft call sign like cessna um, 207 standby uh, radio communications have been established and the pilot can enter class the airspace standby basically means you can enter as long as you heard your tail number uh two this is written for scott note two if workload or traffic conditions prevent immediate provision of class C services, the controller will inform the pilot to remain outside the class C airspace until conditions permit the services to be provided. Um, So even though in that situation, does uh, does that happen often? Lee? I've had it. No, I've had it happen. You've had it happen in class C. Yeah. I've never had it happen, but I haven't been in there that much. I've only been in a class C a few times. Uh, what airport was it? I don't. I don't even recall. I don't even recall what airport it was. But I've, I know. I rem, I distinctly remember because it's the only time I've had it happen. But it was a class C airport. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. The note three. It, it it is important to understand that if a controller responds to the initial radio call without using the aircraft identification, radio communications have not been established and the pilot may not enter the Class C airspace. So even if you have a conversation with the controllers of the Class C coming in um, or any other situation, uh, if they don't see your tail number, it doesn't matter. It does not count as establishing communications. Correct? Yes. Is that yep. how that the gist of how that works? Yeah, you need you need you need to be called out in specific, you know, 
it's like, you know, hey, Bob. And Bob says, hey, John, that is a good, that is a good exchange, a, you know, a legitimate uh, establishment of communication. Oh, if the controller knows your name and uses your name. I'm just saying if that was, you know, two people talking to each other. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then part four basically just covers what Lee went over um, with the 20 miles out as their radar coverage. Uh, part five, pilots approaching an airport with Class C service should be aware that if they descend below the base altitude of the five to 10 mile shelf during an instrument or visual approach, they may encounter non-transponder, non-ADSB VFR aircraft. Um, this is different than Class B because there's no mode C veil requiring you to have ADSB out or like a mode C transponder, basically anything like that under that shelf. Correct. Right. Right. Will they keep so you above that shelf if they're uh, guiding you in or no? Uh, I don't, I mean, cause they can, I mean, they don't necessarily have to even do that with class Bravo. Like I said, if you're going into a class Bravo that you can exit the class Bravo on, you know, if you're going to that primary airport, the fi- the the regs makes it sound like you won't do that and they won't let you do that, but they will. And they just tell you that you're exiting the class Bravo and then they tell you when you re-enter it. That's the only difference. The reg makes it sound like you just you won't. There's not they they won't tell you to do a heading or an altitude that will take you outside of it. That's not true. Uh, I mean, I have gone to an airport hundreds of times, a very one of the busiest class Bravos in the country. And you exit the class Bravo on almost every single approach, every single landing. And they just tell you when you're exiting and they tell you when you're reentering. So it sounds like it should, like you won't leave it, but you do. And I would take this probably the same way um, that uh, you'll leave it. You'll come back in on the approach. And I, I would assume that to be probably pretty, pretty common. But most of the approaches should be contained in the class Charlie. Okay. Yeah. I just, I assumed before I was doing show prep that every approach would keep you inside of these, but apparently that's not the case. It should. I mean, there may be, you know, with terrain, they may have to tailor it kind of uh, an approach pretty specific, and that might not. But typically, they're, they're making the class Charlie fit the approaches. Basically, the approaches have to fit the terrain, and the class Charlie has to fit the approaches. So, what you know, reading this, looking at this, you know, I I don't know where that may happen, but there's all those outliers, you know, Alaska and Idaho and things like that that are different than what we encounter in most of the flat land of the United States. So, I'm sure yeah. they're out there, you know. And I guess this is this this the number this Note Five this- is kind of uh, addressing that. That's the way I kind of take it. Covering their bases. Yeah. Well. Right. 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 All right, still in Section C, um, C4, which is my favorite. Uh, departures from uh, Part A basically states that if you're flying out of the main airport or or the satellite airport with its own tower, you need to be talking to ATC. Um, part B states a satellite airport without an operating control tower, two-way radio communications must be established as soon as practical after departing with the ATC facility having jurisdiction over the Class C airspace. So this is... 
basically if you're at a satellite airport on the ground you may not be able to contact the tower even though that airport is technically inside the class charlie um that's giving you the opportunity to as soon as you get some altitude and you can make communications with that tower um you have to you have to do it that's basically allowing you to take off to get to a point where you can contact them is how i understand that yeah yep exactly right all right, and then part five, aircraft speed, unless otherwise authorized or required by ATC, no person may operate an aircraft at or below 2,500 feet above the surface within four nautical miles of the primary airport of a Class C airspace area at an indicated airspeed of more than 200 knots, which is 230 miles per hour. Uh, I have never had to worry about that. Yeah, I always got to keep an eye on the old uh, 150, make sure she's <laughs> not getting up there. Gotta yeah, be careful. Yeah. Scotch just teeters right on the edge. Yeah, yeah. You get just a little bit right under that. Just 199 knots. You don't, you know, keep it at give well, yourself one knot cushion there. Well, yeah, at least one knot. Wow. Uh I mean I have to worry about this yeah. a lot. We have to I mean well, yeah, every you probably single do. day yeah, I go fly. Probably. Yeah, you don't think about speed limits flying, but if you're flying something like a jet, right. you do. Yeah, your cruise your cruise is above a few hundred knots, right? What? So your your cruise? Cru- your cruise speed is like above a few hundred knots, right? Like, is it? Well, I mean, you're, you're talking about there, indicated. Right? You're talking about indicated airspeed. Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so they do. Ind- it's indicated. Yes, is what they state. Yes. So you could potentially be going a lot faster over the over yeah. the ground. Yes. I didn't think about that. What yes. if you got a 50 knot tailwind, you could be doing 250. You're doing 250, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and more, well, I mean, of course, this only goes to 4,000 feet. But but if there's a 50 knot tailwind, you just shouldn't be flying. So that's also that. Well, up at 4,000 feet, it's not that big of a deal to have a 50 knot tailwind. We had a hundred and, well, we have 150 knot headwinds, tailwinds all the time. Really? At altitude, of course. Uh, oh, hey, yeah. I guess if you're in the jet, you're in the jet stream, you probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, and and yeah, in the winter when in the winter when the jet stream kind of comes further south, yeah, all yeah. across the U.S. I mean, there's a lot of jet stream, yeah, you know, fluctuations. They just broke that, just broke that uh, transatlantic record. I saw that. At 7, yeah. Seven forty-seven. Yeah. yeah they, they were going east. What do they expect? Yeah, you know, they were well. They got. They were. Uh, Cruising to like over eight hundred mile an hour or something like that for for a while. I'm not sure, but that doesn't surprise me. I've done over six hundred yeah. knots ground speed yeah. myself. Yeah. So, well, maybe not. Maybe like five seventy something. So cooking. Well, you're probably five, not. You're probably not what? as fast as a seven forty seven either. Seven forty sevens aren't that fast. They only do like eight two. Seven forty seven is the fastest. Airliner nope. that they nope nope wrong yes, it is no it's not no what the best CRJs will do eight five really yeah well okay the fastest big airliner is a seven forty seven though uh and how fast does it go Scott I don't know I think they struggle to do eight two I think I think they struggle uh, to do eight two I don't know I've okay. I've I've just always been. If you're an if you're an airline pilot flying a seven thirty seven 
let's call it an 800 series or newer. <laughs> Send Scott an email, email and uh, let, let us know. F-A-R-A-I-M at scottboris.com. We want to hear from you. We do. We really do. You make us all smart. And for reference, you, you guys are talking a uh, mock number for anybody who wasn't yeah, following yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you get above a certain altitude and every airplane is kind of different, some automatically switch to mock. Some, you know, you have to manually switch to mock number. So once you get above, you know, up into the flight levels above 18,000 feet, where a lot of the atmospheric variables are pretty well out of, you know, the, everything's pretty stabilized. You don't have a lot of variables. You convert over to Mach number. And um, that's common. You'll hear from air traffic control. They will no longer reference, you know, maintain this speed or that speed. They will tell you in Mach number. And really? Yeah. So that's percentage of the speed of sound. Uh, and you know most most airliners and corporate jets, you know, you're in the, you know, eight 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 zero, you know, point eight, you know, so eighty percent of the speed of sound, you know, to maybe eight two eight three, eighty three percent of the speed of sound, um, you know, then you can get you know like, like your Citation tens and your higher end Gulf streams that are doing you know point nine two nine three, you know, and I, I haven't kept up with it because I'm not flying them, yeah. but nine two five nine three nine three five. You can get out of some of these uh, uh, really big um, corporate corporate jets, but yeah, that's percentage of the speed of sound is what we're referencing. Once you get up at altitude, typically, you know, like in the uh, one of the airlines I was flying above thirty one six, the airplane automatically switches. So like you don't do anything, and it automatically switches from indicated airspeed to Mach number. The airplane I'm flying mm-hmm. now, you have to manually switch it. But yeah, what was I did. Where did we go with that? I did not. I didn't know. I, did, I didn't know. I knew you switched to flight levels above eighteen thousand feet uh, for altitude reporting, but I didn't know the speeds changed over to Mach. That's uh, new info to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I mean, the, I mean, it doesn't matter to most people, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, if you think about like a King Air, do like Mach point four or something. So it's kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. to think about. Yeah, but. Yeah, it's it's a thing. Oh, yeah. it, it's a factor. But yeah, so I mean, back to the class Charlie, that they're talking about an indicated airspeed on this limitation. Just like with class Bravo, they're talking about indicated. So keep that in mind. Your ground speed could be much higher. Yes. Um, part D, air traffic services. When two-way radio communications and radar contact are established, all VFR aircraft are, one, sequenced to the primary airport, which means they're basically shuffled into if you've got multiple planes coming in, right? They're sequencing the arrivals. Um, provided Class C services within the Class C airspace and outer area. I have no idea. Yeah. Part E, aircraft separation. Separation is provided within the Class C airspace and the outer area after two-way radio communications and radar contact are established. That goes on a bunch of nonsense about wake turbulence, separation, target resolution, that kind of stuff. It does mention in there um, specific wake separation for small aircraft behind the B-757 aircraft, which is Boeing. Why do they use that aircraft? That's what I was wondering, if you guys knew why they picked that specific one, other than it probably, I guess, is a bigger wake turbulence than other ones. Yeah, but it's not that big. I mean, 757, there's a lot bigger planes than that. 
Yeah. Lee, do you know why they use that? I don't specifically know, but the Boeing 757 is obviously a phenomenal airplane. And I don't know old, if... Though. Well, yeah, it is old, but God, it is, it's a sexy airplane. It is a sexy airplane. If I had to go fly any airliner for a career, it'd be a 7.5. Seriously. Really? Oh, Why? my God. Have you ever like seen one on the ramp? I've rode in one once. Is that the same as seeing it on the ramp? It's totally different. Well, obviously, I saw it through the, the airplane the, uh, through the airport window before I got on it. I looked at it. Oh, so you should be in love. Now, a seven five. Well, I, I mean, they're very high lift. They, they have a lot of power. They have huge engines. If I remember correctly, they make like ninety thousand pounds of thrust per engine. Really? Yes. I wouldn't think that much because the triple seven is only like what one hundred and ten thousand. And that's a lot how bigger. Do know, how do you guys know any of this? Oh, I, I would not so, know the oh, thrust tips. Stuff tip of the iceberg, anything. Mr. Burger. Oh, tip yeah. yeah you can, you, I, 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 I read about airliners occasionally. Okay. You know? Well, so, but here's the thing, though. So it, it, a 7.5, they can take off completely unrestricted from like, they're, they're not the most efficient. They're definitely not the most efficient. They're not the fastest. Oh. But they can take off unrestricted from high density, high density altitude airports. Denver yeah. is a perfect example. So do they do they create a lot of lift? Is that why they're using that high lift, a lot of power? So yeah. uh, that that's what I was getting at. Long story short, um, short story long, whatever. Um, I think the way the architecture, the design of the wing maybe creates a higher... Now, most of them have winglets now, so that mitigates a lot of the wingtip vortices, for sure. But back yeah. in a straight-wing 757, they may have not had winglets. I'm not sure. Maybe the like you know the originals did not have winglets, and maybe they create a, a ton of wing, uh, wake turbulence because of the high-lift yeah, design of that wing. I just wonder why they use that as an example because, like, I obviously, have, like, I have no, I, I don't know. Eighty or seven forty-seven is going to create a lot more issues than a seven fifty-seven, I would think. But right, but I think, well, a seven, yeah, original seven forty-seven didn't have winglets either. But you know, an A three eighty that was designed with winglets, obviously, so that now, mitigates. Now, of course, the categories, I don't know, and this could be a holdover. They may have just simply forgot to update this that is yeah. that is very possible you can go dig into the code of regular um uh revised code regulations for certain municipalities like this a, a certain state and they will still reference civil air regulations instead of faa regulations it's very interesting and this could just be just you know, collateral damage with them revising a bunch of stuff and just missing this. It's very possible. But yeah. 7.5, lots of power, lots, you know, heavy, lots of power, and, you know, they can probably fly on final a little bit slower than um, uh, other aircraft of maybe equivalent size, which means the wake... Because of the excess thrust, they get behind the power curve. Well, they can stay ahead of the power curve, but yeah, they're heavy. 
So, I mean, when you think about wake turbulence, heavy, clean, and slow. They, they're heavy. We know that for sure. What are they have? What are they heavier than? I don't know. I don't know what their takeoff weight is or their landing weight, max landing weight, but a uh, clean. So clean, yeah, that typically means you know flaps because flaps are a high lift device. They're gonna basically take over some of the load from the Bernoulli concept, which is what creates the wingtip vortices. We're getting way deep here, but the wingtip vortices. It, when you start adding winglets, that's gonna cut down on that wake turbulence a lot. And at earlier generations, they may not have the uh, uh, winglets. You know, so the wake turbulence or the wingtip vortices were very strong, very intense. That's what I'm thinking. What they mean here, but yeah, maybe can't be sure. I, I can't be sure. I would say, if I had to bet money, not knowing, I'd say it's probably the holdover thing. They just haven't noticed it or updated it yet. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably. And how many uh, 757s are there out there anyways anymore? Well, they Going still use them. Charlie. They're, they're phasing them out, I think. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? You got the 787 and the yeah. whatever else coming out. Yeah. All right. We get into some notes. Uh, part one, uh, just is radar outage stuff. Uh, part two note is Senrap operations, which none of us have any idea what they are. Nope. Still waiting on the, still waiting on those emails to explain that to us. Yeah. We are not willing to do that research ourselves. Uh, part three, pilot participation is voluntary within the outer area and can be discontinued within the outer area at the pilot's request. Class C services will be provided in the outer area unless the pilot requests termination of the service. Um, so if Class C services are being provided outside the Class C airspace wedding cake, if you will, uh, you as a pilot just can terminate those services. And then if, what would that radio call sound like to, to do that? Um, See you later. Right? Yeah. That's what you'd say. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, I'd be pulling my hair out. But uh, say, <laughs> hey, Mr. Hey, Mr. Class C air controller. I got stuff to do. See you later. Yeah, right? well, and that gets rid of all of, that gets rid of your second set of eyes. So all your flight following. You might as well leave it. You might as well leave that? on it until they tell you. You might as well stay on it until they tell you to. Right. But you don't know. That's the thing. It depends on where the next, like the next place you're going is, how the proximity of that class Charlie to the next class Charlie or the next class Bravo. Yeah. It just depends. You don't want them to dump you at an inopportune time. No, that would suck. See, I've never been in a situation like that. But whenever I, I left have. controlled airspace, I would just wait for them to tell me to change frequencies. And I, I would, I would say that uh, that I mean that's probably what most people do, and there's nothing wrong with that. I would just where I feel like class. Delta is where this is the most uh, disruptive, this concept we're talking about right here. Who are you responsible to? Am I on my own? Are you giving me a flight following? What's going on? So you want to have that really affirmative uh, interaction where you know that you are terminating those services. You're, like you're not just, you just, you've flown out of the airspace and are they going to tell me to contact another one? Am I done? Are they going to dump me? And I have to contact one in like one mile, another one. 
and I'm going to bust their airspace if I don't, if I don't have my ducks in a row. So it just depends whether you want to be proactive or not. It depends on kind of where you are. You know, I mean, what was, I mean, you've never had anybody dump you, uh, Scott, like, like coming out of Akron Canton, coming back through like Cleveland class Bravo or something like that. First of all, let's be realistic. I'm not flying into Akron Canton. Way too many big planes coming in and out of there. Not getting run over. But second, second, no one dumps Scott Boris. That's right. That'll be, that'll be the last thing they do. I've never been dumped. (laughs) Honestly, I've never been down. Hey, ATC, <laughs> I got a phone number for you. So, um, this this made me think of something else just now. Uh, so our previous, I forget which episode, we were talking about um, following the shoreline to Burke Lakefront. You're calling Cleveland Approach, which is a class Bravo, going into Burke Lakefront, which is a class Delta. And yes. Scott was saying, he says, I'm following the shoreline. He contacts Cleveland Approach, has them start the whole initiative, and then gets hand off to Burke Lakefront. And I said, I don't do that. I just completely avoid them because they send me out too far out over Lake Erie in a single engine airplane. And I don't want to be out there um, in a single engine as far as they have sent me the couple times I've done this. Um, so here's a here's a theory. If Lee said that he contacts them and sometimes he's been sent out, but usually if you say follow the shoreline, that you'll keep on it. If they if if you contact them and they want to send you out, can you just say, Okay, never mind, I don't want to talk to you anymore, I'll contact Burke, so then just you don't go out Correct. there. Correct. Is that that is why is that you would way just to, not even contact them at all. That is that is ammo for why you would just not even contact them at all. Well, that's what I do. I, I don't contact them at all yeah. when I when I was flying. But there's to a comfort. Le- I mean, there's a certain comfort level in having flight following, but then they kind of can tell you what to do. So maybe yeah, it's it's not comforting being five miles out over the lake. What are you? It it just depends on your personal preference. What are you more comfortable doing? Having that second set of eyes watching for traffic for you, and them telling you to go five miles out, or you being seeing a void all by yourself and being a quarter mile off the shoreline. That's a personal preference. Now, of course, different types of aircraft and different pilots will have different answers. You got two engines. If I was a, if I was a twin capable of capable of losing an engine, I'd be a lot more comfortable. Absolutely. That wouldn't be as big so, of a problem. If I was in a if I was in a turbine, even a turbine single, I'd be comfortable. But single engine piston, it's like I'd rather just fly low along the shoreline, stay out of class Bravo, not even talk to them and not have them send me out. But I've just can never you had if they problem. start if know, they I'm like so stay, so say Scott Scott always contacts the approach when he goes out there. So he goes so say he's ne- like so far they'd never sent him out because he's been lucky. Um, but say the next time he does it, they try to send him out. Can Scott just go? Ah, never mind. Um, two three not- Sierra, two three Sierra, uh, turning on Burke Lakefront approach. Uh, nice talking to you, Cleveland. Not well, not Burke doing Lakefront this any further. Have approach, right? They have tower. They have to contact. Yeah, Lakefront tower. yeah that's what I meant. Uh, well, I assume as long as I'm not inside the class Bravo, I can just tell them I'm switching frequencies, right? Yep. Well, well, they can't, they can't tell me no. You can tell them I want to cancel flight following at the current time. 
So yeah. you, you'd you that would be the radio call. You'd have to can't because yep. that would they've basically set you up for flight following, and you'd have to tell them you're canceling flight following. I would staying say outside Bravo. it depends on where you are, but I would say Cleveland approach Cessna two three Sierra Burke Lakefront Airport in sight, even if it's not Burke Lakefront Airport in sight. Like cancel flight following at this time, and they'll say Cessna two three Sierra uh, radar service is terminated. Change to advisory frequency approved. Squawk one two zero zero, done. And then you would That's resume a, back to what you do, you what you're doing off the bat, Rob. Yeah, that's. I feel like that'd be the the problem to the the solution to the problem that we had is just is call approach. Try to get all those services, letting them letting them keep you on the shore. And if they're not going to let you keep on the shore, like we, uh, like I personally like, and I know all three of us yeah. kind of like not going over Lake Erie. If they try to send you over Lake Erie, go ah, never mind. Yeah, well, I mean, here we go. Cancel. You and I, Rob, we have seen one side of the thing where they're sending us halfway to Canada, and Scott's like, "Yeah, they," just, I just tell them I'm following the shoreline, and they just let me do it, and it's like, uh, yeah. I've never once had that happen. I always well, just maybe I'm every lower, time maybe I'm lower than you guys. No, I've been at 1,800 feet or whatever it is because you got to be 1,900 was where the class Bravo starts. I've tried almost every combination maybe of altitudes. Well, Scott maybe flies over there at like 150 feet because he's in a 150. Maybe so that might well, be. Well, they think he's a boat. They think true. he's a freighter coming into the port with a transponder. That's, that's true. Those Listen, freighters I'm going. I'm going. Just so you know. What's up? Do they really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, same as an airplane, yeah, because they can give you they can give you uh, TCAS alerts. Well, what I was thinking is they could probably they're probably intimidated by the tone of my voice. They just knew that I was somebody they didn't want to mess with. Well, that could be it, and that's what Rob and I are missing. They were probably scared. Yeah, you know, they're like. We're, I don't we're not as intimidating guy. as Scott Boris yeah. like, coming in. I don't want this guy to come in here and rough me up, you know. <laughs> I'm just going to let him do what he wants. Uh, it's that or they felt bad for you, so they thought they would just let you go. Or it was because I told them I was a student pilot, and they're like, uh, let's not send a student over to the lake. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. See, this guy, see, this guy may get, not. That's why, you know, they're giving – you know what is – you tell them you're a student pilot, just, just you know, it makes it a lot easier for everybody. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. So back to the freighter conversation. You can see those on the ADSB in no on the, the TCAS. Um, oh. so they have transponders. They do have transponders on boats. It's called AIS. I don't give a fuck what it's called on boats, dude. We're talking about airplanes. No, I know, but you no, know, you brought up boats. Yeah. So I'm I'm taking okay. it there because this is yeah this is kind of my I can I can act like Lee the know it all with the boats. It's AIS that the boats okay. have. It's not like they have a transponder with squawk codes they can change. It's called it's AIS. It's like automatic identification system, okay. I think. And so I didn't know that the aircraft system could pick up on those. Yeah, so like in certain um uh hubs like uh, Philadelphia where you have the river right on the other side of the um of the runway. You can have freighters going down the river, and they will send off a TCAS alert. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy shit. I don't know exactly how it works. I've never had it happen. What's that, Sky? You wouldn't think they'd be on the same. You wouldn't think they'd be on the same thing. No, no, you wouldn't think so. But and but like I said, I've never had it happen. And maybe over the years they've migrated, and maybe older ships are on an older system, a different frequency range, blah blah blah. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's in the station bulletins. You know, if you have a resolution advisory, which like is the TCAS system telling you to you know climb you know because there's an aircraft below you which is really a ship um comply with it it's weird it's weird but yeah hmm. i i didn't know that that the ais shot up to the planes like that i've never like i said i've never had it happen but there are notes in there that describe that it could happen and what to do if it does so that's, okay and part poor Part four, some facilities provide class C services only during published hours. Uh, at other times, terminal IFR radar services will be provided. It is important to note that the communications and transponder ADSB requirements are dependent on the class of the airspace established outside the published hours. Um, this basically is covering stuff. Some class C towers don't run 24-7. Yeah. Which, when I get was flying that just i always thought if it had a tower it was just always 24 7 the class bravos are are all 24 7 i knew the class would shut on and off i didn't know the class c's would i don't know of a class c that shuts down at night i don't i don't know of one that doesn't mean they i mean they're not prevalent but i don't somewhere but yeah not too common i wouldn't think if you know of one Send that to farAIM at scottboris.com. Yeah, let me know. Because uh, part, and I could, if they shut down, then I could probably fly in there. Yeah, the, the it's like a disappearing ring. Yeah, Scott. that's true. That's one more ring off the sectional, right? So like, if, if there's no ring, then you're good to go. <laughs> if there's a ring, you better stay out. <laughs> Scott, Scott needs to know these things <laughs> before you know. Scott's only <laughs> Scott's gonna turn nocturnal. He's never gonna fly during the day. Good good rule of thumb only. Good rule of thumb in life. If there's a ring around it, stay out. There's no ring, you know, you're good to go. I always I always liked flying at night though, other than the chance of engine failure. You'd be screwed. But other than that, it's the air's always smooth. Like there's way less traffic. Oh yeah. It's beautiful the beautiful sights you see, like lights and everything from the distance. Yeah. It's good to f- I like I like night flying. Other yeah. than that, it's, it's that petrifying concept of if that engine fails, I have no idea what's underneath me. Other than that. Exactly. It's great. Other than that, it's it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember was it was it I can't remember which Don told me uh said uh if you if you're having an emergency landing at night and you don't like what you see, shut the lights off cuz <laughs> that's all that's the only- I've, that's I've, the only way to Don, fix that problem. I've, that might have been Don Mather because I remember that statement. Yeah, I, I can't. I couldn't remember which one told me that, but there were, they said, uh, you know, if you if you're making a forced landing at night and you don't like what you see, all you can do is shut the lights off. I believe that might that might have been Don Mather. Don Mather was Scott and I's flight instructor, um, the only instructor I dealt with initially, and Scott had like 30, 40 instructors. Three of them might have had CFIs while he was learning to fly. <laughs> How many Dons did you have teaching you? Like three or four? Yeah, I don't know, seven, eight. 
It's a lot. A lot of pilots named Dustin, I guess. A lot of unlogged uh, training Scott did back in the day. Wow. Un- unloggable that training. That doesn't mean it's not valuable training. I no. do want to throw no, that no, out it's... there. Yeah, no, it was very good. It was very valuable. Well, uh, let's not go crazy here, Scott. Well, <laughs> teach you how to teach you how to survive, or not turn survive. turn those lights yeah. off. Yeah, shut the lights off. All right, part F, secondary airports. It goes into more detail here. Uh, in some locations, Class C airspace may overlie the Class D surface area of a secondary airport in order to allow that control tower to provide service to aircraft. Portions of the overlapping Class C airspace may be procedurally excluded when the secondary airport is in operation. Um, then it goes on, airport operating procedurally excluded areas will only be provided airport traffic control services when communication with secondary tower. Uh, it's That's just a bunch of, if there's conflicting ones, you know, explain that in English, Lee. Yeah, or? basically, the higher class airspace, class C, is going to typically take precedence over the class D. And that will be noted on the sectional chart. And so you'll look at whether it's just a top number for a class D. Um, and then if, like, so, like, let's say there's a budding airspace. Um, you'll have either the number, which means denotes the top of the airspace, or in let's like in class delta, that's going to be a bracket with a number inside it. So that's going to be in thousands of feet MSL. And then um, if, like, let's say it abuts a class Charlie airspace, that will have potentially maybe a minus sign in front of it, which means up to, but not including that that number. So, like, for example, if it says 2,000 feet, like, minus 2,0. So, that's in kind of the flight level format, as we know with these airspace numbers. So, minus 2,0 would say up to, but not including 2,000 feet. So, if you get to 2,000 feet, you're in the overlying airspaces airspace. So, you're in the jurisdiction of the class Charlie or the class Bravo. But if it just says 2,000, that means at 2,000, you're still in that class Delta. If it says minus 2,000, that means up to, but not including 2,000. Does that kind of answer the question? So they're dialing it down to the foot, whether it has a minus sign or not. Yeah, yeah, who you're responsible to. Yep, the overlying class Charlie or the class Bravo. So class Charlie is what we're talking about. But yeah, class Charlie, class Bravo. And if with a, with a uh, uh, minus sign, if there's no minus sign, you're still in that class Delta. That's who you're responsible to if you're like VFR just flying through. Going into a class Delta that's underneath a class Charlie, the approach control is going to be the same frequency, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because class Deltas typically do not have a class Charlie. They're going to handle you. Like, if you call approach, they're going to tell you who do you need to be talking to, right? Yeah, but they could always terminate you at an inopportune time, like we've talked earlier. Well, yeah. But, but yeah, gen- generally they're going to hand you off. I mean, they're thankful to have you yeah. there. That is something I want to make you know really clear to people with this kind of anxiety about going into these airspace. You look at the sectional and there's circles and rings all over the place. Yes, there is some intimidation factor that is probably legitimate, but they're thankful to have you there. They just don't want you to be a complete wreck. You know, 
Right. Then we have some idea what you know what your responsibilities are to help them do their job. They don't want you to think you can go in there, not plan, not know anything, and just blaze on through and be good. That makes their life hard. They don't want that. This is basically foreshadowing the part two, which is aircraft proceeding inbound to a satellite airport um, will be terminated at a surface distance to allow time to change to the appropriate tower or advisory frequency. Class C services to these aircraft will be discontinued when the aircraft is instructed to contact the tower or change to advisory frequency. Basically, they're going to hand you off. Like if, if you're in a if you're in a controlled tower within a Class C that's not the primary airport, you're going to be talking to that main Class C at first to get into the initial there, and then they're going to hand you off to the Class D, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yep. It, I mean, it makes everything a seamless transition. You're like kind of... It's easy for the pilot, and this this is what, this is what we want, and that's kind of a little bit of a reward for con- doing some pre-flight planning, contacting approach control kind of when you're supposed to look at your sectional, contact approach control when you should or when you can, and they should coordinate some handoffs. And so then, when you're getting close to that primary, uh, you know, class Delta airport or that underlying airport, they're going to coordinate that handoff. And everything goes really, really smooth. You're not going to bust any airspace. Everybody knows you're coming. Makes life easy. Uh, Part three, aircraft departing secondary. This is departure now. Uh, Departing secondary controlled airports will not receive Class C services until they have been radar identified and two-way communications have been established with the Class C airspace facility. Um, That's basically until you're talking to Class C, you're not getting any Class C benefits I think that's would, pretty straightforward. Would you try to get that on the ground, <clears throat> or would you would you take off and then try to contact C? Mm. Lee, I would try to I would try to get it on the ground, and if you can't get it on the ground, then right. as soon as you can, once you're airborne, I imagine there's a lot of situations where you probably could get it on the ground if it's that close to the tower, right? Well, yeah, but they need to, yes. It sounds like what you guys are saying that sounds like ideal, but they need certain um, criteria to be met for them to radar contact you. So we had a lot going to on some of the routine flights we had to certain airports. You know, you would contact them, you know, coming out of, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred feet and you'd call them up, you know. Cleveland approach, you know, so-and-so, we are VFR to this airport at this altitude, climbing to this altitude. And they cannot, they have criteria they need to meet to be, to qualify as radar contact or radar identified. So they need to say, um, they, they kind of need your three-dimensional uh, point in space. They need to know where you are laterally from a kind of a milestone point, you know, an airport or whatever, a waypoint and an altitude. And then when they do, you know, so-and-so, you are radar contact five miles northeast of so-and-so airport, 3,500 maintained VFR. That is kind of the phraseology that you want to hear, and that that is that is like they need prior to that 
that's their response to you. Prior to that, you have to call them and tell them, hey, we're three northeast of this airport, 1.7 climbing 3,000 VFR so-and-so. And then they're going to say, okay, so-and-so squawk 5344. And then they'll say radar contact. So there is a process to becoming this. This it, it, It's buried in here and you don't want to put, you don't pay too much attention to it. But there is a process to them to be radar identified. So calling them on the okay. ground, yeah, you want to do that. But that does not, that does not necessarily radar identify you to them. You've you've established two way radio okay. communication. Yeah, you have, but it says until they've been radar identified and two way radio communication. So if you two way, if you call them up, yeah, that satisfies one thing and it gives them a good heads up. But they have to identify you, you know, radar identify you. Because remember, you're talking. So is that like a, on the initial contact? Contact typically they'll give you a transponder code and then use like say two three nine six you know squawk two three nine six and then you put two three nine six into your transponder and then typically once you do that they're going to say something like uh cessna 207 radar contact and then either that's it or they say something else and that that means they've established it at that point all that all those criteria have been met when they do a call like that i'm not air traffic control but i would assume you'd have to already be airborne like you guys are saying like hey I would want to get ahead of the game and let them know before I even take off the ground of this, you know, satellite class Delta airport. That's kind of what we're talking about here. I don't okay. know if that really yeah. works practically speaking, because in order for them to radar identify you, I don't know. I'm not ATC and these are so, so this is kind of so far out there and I don't know what I'm sure this, this condition exists. I haven't seen it. I don't fly VFR that much. If it exists, there are, it might not be that easy as calling them on the ground. You're giving them a heads up, which I'm sure they appreciate. But you need to be in the air. Transponder needs to be reporting. They need to on. They need to identify the uh, the transponder code in the air. So yeah, this sounds two way two way radio communication and uh, two way uh, radar identified. Yeah, that radar identified. There's a lot of stuff that invo- is involved there. So there's yeah. a blast off. You know, don't just call them on the ground and think that you're good. Or th- I mean, yeah, maybe that works. Maybe it does. I don't know because the transponder still works on the ground. Radar contact is lingo. I feel I've heard that right. I'm yeah, not, this that isn't is, some weird dream yes, I had. That is, that is a phraseology you'll I'm hear not flying around. Okay. Yeah, your radar contact. I that five radar miles east to wherever. Two th- three thousand five hundred. So when they say when when they say that radar contact, that that means they've all those criteria that you you're alluding to means that that all that stuff has happened and may not happen when you're on the ground. Yes. Yep. Maybe maybe once you're up in the air. Yep. Right. Correct. That makes sense. Correct. Yeah, and everything with the radar is going to be line of sight too. Again, just like we're talking about, you know. Oh, yeah. So they no matter that that you'd have to be very close maybe for them to be for them to pick up. Um, uh, the transponder on the ground. Yeah. So, yeah. But these are, I mean, these are all, it's like the ship. It's like the ships with the AAS. You can pick up those. They're on the sea. Yeah. But you're flying right over top so of them. It, that, that would be ship to airplane versus airplane to yeah, a true. ground facility. 
This is getting yeah. deep into it, but I mean, I guess it's, I mean, somewhere this condition exists and maybe those people that operate in and out of that airplane are very familiar with it and they're experts. And I mean, I would, I would be curious to know how that works when you're departing a, a airspace that is within or underlies or abuts, butts up to another airspace. I would love to know how that, that works be, out practically. Speaking. That would be such a pain. Thank God I'm based on an airport that I don't have to talk to anybody. Totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just go up and fly um, around. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Well. Yep. Antisocial. Don't talk to me. <laughs> you know? If you, if you um, are listening and you have insight into that, like as a controller in airspace where that covers... Um, shoot us an email f-a-r-a-i-m at leegriffing.com g-r-i-f-f-i-n-g yeah let me know um, that'd be interesting yeah, I'd, I'd like to be educated on this because I've always thought about these these things and I don't know anywhere where it actually exists it must or maybe it did if you if you have like a freakishly weird situation like detail aspect of the reg you want to talk about Lee's email is the person in the universe that thinks about all this weird stuff and the nuance, like that'd be the friend you'd, you'd email to, to, to have, like if you haven't found anybody else in your life to talk like nuances of weird stuff like that, Lee's, Lee's your guy. So shoot him, shoot him. In yeah, even though I sound like you're like an idiot <laughs> on here. Let's, well, that's cause you'd like the, you'd, Record with boiler mates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's your, it's and your I would like to respond does, to your email does, in conversation with more boiler makers. Does everybody know what a <laughs> boiler maker is? I feel like most no, most of our listeners probably don't know that what go. All this is. You can you can look that up. It's called uh, askjeeves.com. dot Oh, ask, uh, ask Jeeves. <laughs> Okay. Uh, part part four. Uh, I'm not going to read it off verbatim. Part four is basically a reminder that even though ATC is God of the skies, you are still liable and responsible for any and all ATC ball dropping. Um, it just goes into like um, the better than the minimums required for weather conditions and stuff. You're all you're responsible for any and all things they can say you're responsible for. Which brings me into the weather minimums. Class C weather minimums are different than Class A weather minimums and Class B weather minimums. Class A doesn't have weather minimums; it's IFR only. Exactly. Are you trying? Oh, are you no. trying to trick me? It's not are you trying applicable. To trick me? It's not applicable. Wow. But this is—I didn't put it in the notes, but I just thought of it on the fly. This is something we should probably mention before we wrap totally. up the episode here yeah. pretty soon. What are the weather minimums for Class Charlie airspace? Anybody got it? I got it. Probably. Scott, do you know? What's your I would guess? guess. What's your guess? Three, I, I would guess three statute miles and uh, clear of cloud. No, you're going to have to clear of clouds. You're going to have to be further than that because they're not, uh, they're not providing you with uh, separation, right? Well, I mean, you're going to have to they be. Are. Uh, they are. But remember, everything's kind of reduced. This is a watered down class Bravo airspace. Yeah. So seventy percent of all controlled airspace is kind of all the same cloud clearance and visibility requirements. Yeah. Does is anything ringing a bell? 
Same as class E. Right. Same as class I'm, D. I'm not a real pilot. I'm not a real pilot, so fill me in here. I I, I bought an e-board one time that had all this stuff on it, but, <laughs> yeah. and then I never used it. I never the used the monthly e-board, e-board so. club. So, so what 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 are the what are just the, send me one. Is class C is the same as class E, right? Then yeah, as far as your weather minimums, yes. Okay. So what are those? <laughs> you know what class E is? You painted yourself in a corner. Scott Scott only flies when it's like no clouds at all in the sky and unlimited visibility, or else he just doesn't go. He doesn't yeah, go yeah, up you know anymore. I'm a fair weather pilot. If you do that, you'll one live longer, and two, these regs don't even matter. Yeah. Well, see, here's my thing. Like, I would like to learn. I feel more confident in the flying in the different airspaces and different weather conditions and stuff like that. But my, my flight instructor is not reliable. I cannot Here get, we go. I cannot get like a, a consistent lesson scheduled. He doesn't come you know? home enough from Florida. Is that what you're saying? It's all, it's almost well, like your actually, flight instructor yeah, I, I has like two, a corporate I, flying job. I have and two flight instructors and one just, I don't even know what he does. He, Lives in Florida, and I think he plays with boats and stuff like that. <laughs> and the other, the other one, I I don't know. He's, he's he's in different states all the time. I don't really know what he does. I don't think he has a real job. <laughs> uh yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I don't know either. I mean, yeah. I earned my yeah. money today. So like, I would be, I would be proficient on this. No, stuff, you would. But it's really hard to if schedule. If you don't use it, you lose it. We can go beat it into your head. Rob or right. I can no, beat it into your head. Right. But, like, if I was confident to fly in questionable weather into Burke Lakefront, like, Dill Lady and I would fly into Cleveland for dinner just for fun, just for something to do. But I'm not confident enough to do that. We'll go. If, next time, this summer, I'll be up in Ohio yeah. at some point, I'm sure. We'll go if Lee's not available before then. I will give you a flight lesson. I, I used to we'll go to Burke. Rob, how much I used to fly to Burke all the time. That's what I want to know, Rob. How much are you getting paid an hour when you go fly with him? Um, <laughs> you, uh, other, usually, you're getting usually, paid by flight. Once we flight. once we get back, how there's usually I, like first of all, Lee. How many times I offered to pay you? Every time you give me a flight lesson, I offer to pay you, and you refuse it. And, so, and that is, I, I've I, never got hey, off. I'm not a ball and chain. That that is why I refuse it, so I don't have to be responsible. <laughs> I can say <laughs> I've never I've never been offered payment, so I don't know. Well, when we fly, Rob, it's not really a flight lesson. It's more just like we're just flying around. Like you're already at my house and like we're gonna start drinking as soon as we land. So it's more like we're just hanging out. But when Lee like I force him to drive all the way to my house from Cleveland and give me a flight yeah. review. So it's a little a little different. I am all about it. I think it's important, you know, for everybody, you know, if everybody, whether you have a private pilot's license or a student pilot or recreational, whatever, push yourself, you know, find somebody. If your instructor is not comfortable doing that type of stuff, find someone who is because it is a plethora of, you know, capability and resources why go 30 miles outside of your way? You know, I think a couple episodes we looked at the um, the class Bravo airs- airspace around um, New York. And we kind of calculated that you have to go like 50 miles out of your way to get from one side to the other. 
Well, that doesn't make any sense. Now, that might be a bad example because you're probably not going to go through there too, you know, too straight anyways. But if you can shave 20 or 30 miles off of that flight, that's pretty substantial savings, you know, on on a short flight in in a small, slow airplane. So don't be afraid of it. If your instructor doesn't really want to take the time to get you proficient there, find somebody who will because you're, you're leaving a lot on the table in, as far as airplane capability, resources. There's a lot of airspace out there. Dodging it for your whole flying career, probably, I mean, it's just, it's, it doesn't do, you know, it doesn't do you any good. Get proficient. You know, find somebody who 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 has the time and and has the skill and is not afraid uh, to get you proficient to go through that aerospace. You'll learn a lot, and it will add a lot. Um, I guess a lot of apparent capability to your airplane when you're not dodging airspace. If you can go in a straighter line, the airplane's average speed across the ground is going to go up. That is one thing that, that yeah. I would definitely say. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Stay in a straight line. Don't go all the way around in airspace. Go where you're going as close to a straight line as air traffic control will let you. You know, don't chicken. Don't chicken out. I would say just experience too. If you already have the rating, like say you had a rating in an airplane, it doesn't necessarily have to be a flight instructor. Bring someone along that's just comfortable with it. And you know what I mean? It's not like, like what for what like Scott wants to go do radio he's already a private pilot he's not working on another rating like it's his plane like if he like if you or I weren't available as CFIs like there's and there was hypothetically someone in that area that's comfortable with airspace which there's probably not in Scott's case <laughs> no 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 one out there is probably comfortable going out there i mean the um, they probably would, but they're not any more experienced than I am. So we wouldn't learn anything. We'd just piss off the controllers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can I can think of one gentleman out there with a J3 Cub right now that can't technically flight. Inst- well, no, he can flight instruct. Yeah, uh, he's he's got. Yeah, he hasn't flown in a while. I mean, he he's no? he's good. He knows how to do all that. I mean, he used to fly commercially. So he, yeah, he used to fly for yeah. Continental 73s. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have yeah. him on as a guest at some yeah. point. If he's listening, you know who you are. Oh, that that oh. J3 pilot. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah the, he's, a, he's not the, he's not in the state for the winter. Oh, yeah, he's down here with yeah. me in Florida. Yeah. Not in the same area, but yeah. Yeah. He would know how to go to Burke Lakefront. Oh, no yeah, problem. he used to fly out of there all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean just I mean yeah, get good advice. Uh, find find somebody who can who can do it. It's not because I did. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it more in later episodes. I did a a one or two month stint um, banner towing out of an airport that had a control tower, and going out in and out of the same control tower every day, you it just it becomes second nature at that point. Yeah, like it's just no it it you after you do it enough. It just becomes like you don't even 100%. think about it. It's like, no, not yeah, a big it's all deal. scripted. At some point, you boil it all down, it eventually becomes a script that you can learn and you can anticipate. And that is kind of falls on, you know, I, I guess, and, and you're right, Rob, I was using kind of the instructor. But yeah, it can be just somebody that you think, 
you know, is good or you, that you trust and they are good. You know, they're either a professional pilot, an airline pilot, whatever. Get them to come along. If you have a buddy like that who got you into flying, whatever, and they're willing to go fly with you, go get them. You can learn so much from them, even though even if it's not loggable time per se, go fly with them. There's so much you can learn. Yeah. Yeah. I would. An example that would we all know a guy named Jody. He would be he's not a CFI, but that guy, I'm sure, is a wealth of information going in and out of Burke Lakefront. Yeah. <laughs> like if if you if you could get a, a hop in his plane or get him to hop in your plane, you'd probably learn a lot of little tricks to get in oh, and yeah. out of that airport. Yep. 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 Totally. So But yeah. Yep. And then um yeah, I mean, no, I was just going to say, yeah, FA, the um, the ATC, they're always going to make sure you understand that you are, if anything goes wrong and any there's any violations of any regulations, it's never going to be their fault. <laughs> that's that's the thing with ATC. No. It's always yeah. the pilot's yep. fault. Yeah. Right. Um, yep. Before we move on, did we move on wrap this up did we actually get to what the um weather minimums are i felt like we got maybe we didn't but so the way i always describe to students when i'm unless anybody else has anything else to say on this topic right here okay nope, i'm done so what i always would tell students is if you could pin up a sectional chart and you threw a, a dart at the map 70% of the airspace is three miles of visibility, a thousand feet above clouds, 500 feet below clouds, and 2,000 feet horizontally from clouds. So, that that, I mean, so your cloud, your, your visibility, of course, is three miles, but your cloud clearance. So, how close you can be to these clouds, a thousand above, 500 below, and 2,000 feet horizontally. That are our cloud clearance and visibility requirements for 70-80% of the airspace. So you can close your eyes through a dart at a sectional chart, and chances are you're going to hit an airspace that has three miles of visibility required. So you need to be able to see in front of you in your direction of flight, three miles. You need to be a thousand if there's a layer of clouds, you need to be a thousand feet above it, or five hundred feet below it, or two thousand feet off the side of it. That that is kind of the thing, and the reason those air the, those um the, those are the limits is you have to think airspeed anywhere. Best go ahead. Best rule is if if you can see clouds, just probably just don't fly. Right. That's Scott, Scott Boris Bo- rule. Scott thumb. Boris yeah. talking rule like thumb. we're cr- well, we're talking I mean, people are crazy and yeah. like might go oh, out yeah. with a couple clouds in yeah. there. Oh yeah. Well, you know, you might you might not want to do that. You, you know, you might not. <laughs> you don't have to if you don't fly when there's clouds out. You don't have to worry about any of this stuff. You don't have to remember these numbers, these weird numbers. And and then before you know it, it's been three years and stuff like you've that. Flown. And then and, you're scared you know, of everything. No, so, I'm not. I'm actually not. I'm not scared of anything. Oh, okay. So for, so for class C airspace, <laughs> yeah. we're three miles. Yeah. Three miles visibility. We are at least a thousand feet yeah. above the clouds, or five hundred feet yeah. below clouds. And is there a vertical? Horizontal is there a, distance. Um, it is two thousand feet. 
Yes. And the reason these all, and this will come into play, um, you know, and this is a big one. And this is hard for a lot of students uh, and pilots. You know, you're coming in for your flight review, whatever the case may be. This is boring, boring subject matter. But when you start thinking about why are these uh, criteria what they are, it's all contingent upon the aircraft that is dominating that airspace. So if you're anywhere below 10,000 feet, um, for the most part, I mean, 90% of it is class E, D, C, B. You have three miles of visibility because that is the fastest anything's going to go there is 250 knots. So if you have 250 knot airplanes flying in that airspace, it's a three mile, three miles of visibility. You need to see the scene avoid concept. Once you get above 10,000, the rules change to five miles because airplanes can go faster. So it's all kind of predicated on uh, how fast and what type of aircraft they expect. The FAA expects to be operating in that airspace. So class G is one mile, but that because the only things flying there are slow airplanes, J3 Cubs and, you know, simple trainers for the most part. 150s so they're going slow so they don't need to have that much time to see and avoid each other so one mile suffices but anywhere you have 250 knots it's gonna be three miles just keep that in mind and and for the cloud clearances um keep in mind that typically aircraft like higher higher performance aircraft are going to be climbing to altitude a lot faster than they are descending so that's why you need thousand thousand miles above above. clouds and only 500 feet below clouds because usually on descent it's more controlled they're coming in gradually where if if the airplane has the performance it's going to be cranking to gain altitude as fast as it the performance of the aircraft allows and in some cases with like jets that can be quite fast so they want extra cushion on the top and then the um, horizontal is 2,000 feet which is double even on top of the clouds because basically they want more distance for all that speed of a plane just coming out of a cloud and end up straight at another aircraft. They want that extra thousand feet to handle that situation as well. Totally. Is that a that, decent that's explanation? It. Yeah. You're gonna so if you're at altitude and you're descending in, in these aircraft that burn a lot of gas and, and whatever, you want to hold on to the altitude as long as you can. So Rob summed it up perfectly. I'm just adding a little bit to it. Um, you want to hold on to altitude as long as you can, because that is if there's an emergency or like an engine failure, that's options. That's gliding options. There's more aircraft or airports at your disposal on that emergency. So you can glide further. This that's altitude does that uh, altitude stores energy four times uh, better than airspeed. So kinetic energy is much more, con- um, uh, you have a lot more kinetic energy with altitude, so you want to hold on to all that as long as you can. So you have a high, you have more options if an engine were to fail or if there's any other emergency. You have a higher true airspeed, which means you're covering ground faster. So that's advantageous, you know, for airplanes. We want to get somewhere faster, and you burn less gas. So all these reasons are why you want to hold on to altitude. So that's why you want there's a less. Um, uh, restriction below a cloud because aircraft are going to be descending more gradually, like Rob said, versus climbing. They're trying to get the altitude for all those benefits that I just mentioned. They're climbing fast. 
it's complete opposite yeah. on the climb. They're trying to get as much of those height benefits as they can yes, as soon as they 100%. can. So if, if your if your airplane can climb five thousand foot a minute, you're going to do it typically on a climb. Out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If ATC gives you an unrestricted climb, yeah, you're going to climb. Yeah, you're going to you're going to do every bit of what you can, uh, depending on which you know if you're going into a headwind or a tailwind. But yeah. Yep, that concept applies. If it was a calm wind day, yep, you're going to climb as fast as you can to get up to altitude. Fuel consumption goes way down. True airspeed goes uh, goes up. And all your options, if they're an emergency, all are greatly increased um, by, by having the altitude below you. So we have incentive to climb yep. if we can for that 1,000 feet above the cloud. Yep. Yep. Three, and they do visibility is in statute yeah. miles. Yeah, which is odd. Which is different than every everything else in aviation is typically nautical miles. Um, the visibility is usually stat. It, Why it, do they do it that usually, way? Usually, it's always. Why do they do it that way? Is it because weather reports yeah. like domestic? Yeah, I weather, don't know. Weather no reports idea. are in statue miles, guessing. and I yeah, I don't I don't know why it is in statue miles. I'm assuming it's just a holdover from. You know, the 1920s, 1930s, I guess. So we have, so sum it up, three statue miles visibility in Class C. We need to be at least 1,000 feet above any cloud. We need to be at least 500 feet below any cloud. And if there's a cloud off to the side of us horizontally, we need to be at least 2,000 feet away from that cloud to comply with the VFR weather requirements. And obviously, if you're IFR, it doesn't matter. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with, Part G of this is basically they put Class C airspace areas by state and they list off all the Class Cs. I don't know why they do that, but we will not delve there's into a bunch of them. that. And there's a lot. What I thought was weird is they, they do this with C, but they didn't do it with B. And there's a lot less Class B airports than there are so like, Class C. And they list out all the Class C airports it in the name. by state? In this table. They're in alphabetical. Oh, okay. Yeah, in this particular right. table, they list yeah. off the states by alphabetical uh, in, order, and then all the class Charlie Air bases that are in there. Yeah, within those states are listed. But that's all I got yeah, for this I, one. I think I think yeah. I'm out. Yeah. The, just yeah, that's a recover I mean, of class. We covered everything that I was concerned yeah. about. Well, we got uh, show notes. I don't know if much show notes for for this one. Um, that we promised, but that is robertberger.com backslash F-A-R-A-I-M zero or no zero one one. We're not in the double O's anymore. Uh, so F-A-R backslash F-A-R-A-I-M zero one one. It will be the show notes for the episode. Uh, my email is robertberger.com uh, spelled the German way, B-E-R-G-E-R, not the sandwich way. Uh, Lee Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G, and then F-A-R-A-I-M uh, at ScottBoris.com, B-O-R-E-S. And then we were coming with, to you guys with another radio conversation next week, and the week after that will be Class Delta Airspace. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, send us an email. we really um, interested feedback. Uh, rate in iTunes, um, Apple Podcast app, five-star review, make a funny comment. And uh, that's all. That's it. Take See care. See you guys next time. Thanks. Yep. See ya.